0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Then Again. This is Marie Walker, and I am the director of the Ada May Ivester Education Center here at the Northeast Georgia History Center, and today I have a special guest with us, a professor from UGA, Dr. Drake. So uh, welcome to the podcast. So happy that you're here today. Uh, Could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your area of study that we're going to be talking about today, environmental history and the Civil War?
1: All right, great. Well, thanks for having me on, first of all. Uh, yeah, my name is Brian Drake, and I teach history down in Athens at the University of Georgia. And as you mentioned, I am an environmental historian, which is essentially the study of the interaction of nature and human history over time. You know, I can elaborate on that, but in essence, that's it. What people think about nature and what nature does to people and vice versa. And so I've been doing that for about 15 years here in Athens, and uh, that's what my uh, PhD specialty was. And, and uh, I think it's endlessly fascinating, and more recently, as you as you've noted, I have taken that to the world of the of, of the Civil War. So,
0: so how does the environment play a role in the American Civil War?
1: You know, <laughs> briefly, how doesn't it? Uh, play <laughs> a role? Let me step back for a second. I, you know, I think one of the good things about COVID, if there is any anything good about COVID, is that it has reminded us in pretty stark detail that, that, that nature matters, that, that a little virus can change the course of history. Who would have thought that two years on, we would still be living day to day with the consequences of this pandemic, yet we are. And so um, if you take that insight and kind of apply it to history generally, that history is this really deep interaction with the natural world, um, among them pathogens, then you get, you get an idea of, of how it would apply to the Civil War. So, um, you know, Civil War history tended to be, until recently, it, it was the study of, you know, it was classic great great man history. You know, the pejorative phrase was drums and trumpets, right? It was always which regiment and which brigade went up which flank of which hill and which battle, so on and so forth. And that's, of course, changed in the last, you know, 25 or 30 years. We really expanded away from the battlefield, away from the studies of Robert E. Lee and and tactics and and gotten into the study of Civil War memory. We've gotten into the role of of, of women, of freed people, of enslaved people, of, of uh, of children of the international scene, so we've gotten we've gotten much more broad, and so civil war environment is part of that. And what we what we've asked in the kind of world of civil war environmental history is as how's nature shaped the civil war experience, um, not just on the battlefield but but beyond it as well. And, and the answer is in a lot of ways, in a ton of ways. Just to, to offer one to begin is is epidemic disease. That's true of every war, but it was particularly true of the Civil War. One of the things we have to remember is that most people, both North and South lived very isolated lives, epidemiologically, you know, particularly places like Appalachia and the big cities are not that big, and so many diseases are, are a result of, a consequence of concentrated populations. Well, what does the war do? It takes people from all over the place, takes them from, you know, Yancey County, North Carolina, to name an example, and smashes them together with people from all across uh, the country in these training camps, and then later on in, in bivouacs and in battles, and they're breathing on each other and exchanging microbes. It's this is kind of gigantic, you know, petri dish experience. And then, of course what do you get? You get massive disease casualties. Sometimes this can change the the course of an entire battle. If you don't have a regiment because everyone's out, then you've got a problem. You can't launch the attack you'd planned to launch. You you have to make sure people can recuperate. You have to get them food. You have to do all kinds of things. So it's an everyday lived experience for soldiers. and that, That's a huge example, and just one of them, for instance.
0: You mentioned disease as part of the the nature of the Civil War and how that fact well, truly infects the the people and also affects the environment so how yeah. did the battles that those soldiers fought impact the environment
1: great question i mean the obvious answer of course is is wars blow things up right so you, you do have that but um a lot of the impacts on nature from the battle there and things things that you wouldn't always think of you need wood for fortifications and so there tends to be a lot of deforestation associated with battles as people are either they're bringing it down and building these uh, fortifications campfires and bivouacs and things like that to be kind of disgusting there's a tremendous amount of human waste in a battlefield Excrement and urine, and not just from humans. One of the things I think we don't appreciate is, is horses and mules. The amount of, of urine that a horse produces is p- pretty significant. So, especially if you've got cavalry units and artillery units that are using horses, I mean, you've got a It's pretty gross. Not to mention, you know, honestly, blood and guts as well. And when you have that, then you, of course you have you have vermin, you have flies come in, you have rats, and so you kind of create this battlefield ecosystem, maybe for the for the for the lack of a better phrase, which is kind of horrifying and that can last for months once the battle's over and the troops move on if you're a civilian in the area you're left with astonishing amounts of carnage um, that has to be dealt with and furthermore you know they've eaten you out of house and home essentially that's another thing i think we don't always appreciate is these armies when they come together will they'll absorb all the resources of the area like a kind of you know black hole and then they're gone and if you're a civilian after they're gone, you're, you're facing starvation, you're facing ruin. And so in, in some ways, the battles themselves are less impactful than, than the ancillary stuff, if that makes sense. And I think that's a really interesting insight that sometimes the before and after is worse for the environment than, uh, than the battle. The mobilization is really what does it.
0: For sure, that's so interesting to think about because a lot of times people think of just the moment, the battle, which only lasted right. perhaps a few days, maybe even just right. a few hours in some cases. But then The impact on the natural world, as well as just the town itself, the civilians living there, would go on for days, maybe even years.
1: Absolutely. You know, another example, if I can, so you confiscate the livestock, you know, you conscript it. Well, that's going to, of course, affect agriculture for years afterwards. One of the biggest impacts in the South, for instance, one of the things that historians have argued that kept it from recovering was a simple lack of livestock because so much of it was, was sacrificed in the war. And you need to have horses and mules and pigs and oxen to get things done. And so the landscape is going to bear the, the mark of the lack of those things for a long time. And it takes years, as you know, for, for, the, for the region to recover. But yeah, um, this is kind of goes along, I think, with, with the larger trends in Civil War history. Again, we're trying to kind of get away from the battle, per se, although it's really important. But the effects ripple out right, in time and in, and in distance. And for me, that's one of the most interesting things. right? Nobody thinks about the civilians, really. Or not many people think about the civilians six months later. And their environmental experience is, is, is gut-wrenching, quite literally.
0: So uh, some of the other impacts that you would have on the either civilian population and the soldier population themselves would be the amount of death and Mm -hmm. carnage and disease and you get either killed or shot, wounded, and then you would most generally have an amputation. That would be the most Mm -hmm. common type of surgery that the doctors would do. Their nickname sawbones because, well, they sawed off so many bones. So can you tell us a little bit about what life would have been like post-war and you're dealing with death and disability, and how does the environment really play a factor into that, the, the environment itself?
1: Immediately, a couple of things come to mind, one pragmatic and one, one sort of more metaphorical. You know, mechanization of agriculture in the North Made it possible for wounded soldiers to, to still contribute to the war effort by producing food. I think about that. It, it, you know, perhaps mechanization made it so you know your amputation was less was l- less dramatic in effect. Now that it's not not, not going to be as true in the South. I mean there was always a, a dearth of labor during the war, and that's going to be just as bad afterwards. One of the interesting side effects that, that a couple of historians have suggested was in the way people, including soldiers, thought about nature. As a result of the war, Uh, Aaron Sachs, for instance, talks about the bloody stumps of amputation and, and the stumps of deforestation. There was a trend after the war to, to set aside natural environments in the West and uh, another historian named William Denovan, has called it the, the Healing Landscape That one of the things Americans did was look to the landscape as as, as a source of, of, of solace as a source of I guess escape from, from this trauma of war and Frederick Law Olmsted in 1862 this is in the beginning of the war argued for, for the creation of Yosemite in California as a national park and one of the things he said was that this will prove to the world, that a democracy can still do great things and, and noble and uplifting things in the middle of this war. We can set aside this beautiful landscape and preserve it for generations. And, and so I don't know if this bears directly on your question, but I think it certainly affected the way people thought about nature in the way the same way they, maybe they thought about death and destruction. And when you see all all of this, I think it gives you a, a new way of looking at the natural world, maybe a more sympathetic way. So.
0: so you mentioned the creation of Yosemite and this looking to the hmm. landscapes. For, for solace and peace after this truly devastating and multifaceted war. So it's part of the larger conservation movement in the 19th century. So could you tell us a little bit about the conservation movement in a in a broader context and how that kind of got started and how the Civil War really Kind of ramped it up and made people want to preserve these places instead of destroying them
1: absolutely so the conservation movement it's really a progressive era 1890s early 1900s era movement and I always tell my students they are the first environmentalists in America we would recognize them as environmentalists the conservationists um they were reformers first of all they were the same kind of people who were interested in women's suffrage they were interested in child labor they were interested in food and drug laws and things like that in fact we, we got our first food and drug laws from the progressive conservationists but they were also people who were keenly interested in natural environments and and they were critics of industrialism they were not communists or or labor activists or or anything like that but they were they were critical of of industrialism and they had a deep fear that industrialism that was unregulated and that was just left to its own devices was going to basically destroy America's National Resources, cut and get out, was the phrase they used. And they argued that what you needed was scientific experts, who were trained by and worked for the government to help oversee natural resources, at least the resources that belonged to the government and public domain. And so what we need, they say, are foresters and agricultural specialists and wildlife specialists. And so anytime you drive around a national forest today, guess where that comes from? That comes from this era. And also they argued that some places should just be preserved not for their economic value not to not to preserve resources for the future like a national forest but just for their for their beauty for their for their spiritual value and their aesthetic value and that's the national park system it's still very human centered but the idea that these landscapes are set aside for something other than just timber and agriculture no matter how efficient and well done you know what are the links between that and the civil war i mean that's one of the things that we are are we are beginning to understand in fact i would say it's one of the hottest questions out there because i My field, I will admit, we always see the conservation movement as a response to industrialism, to the Gilded Age, and it was to a large extent, but... How can it not bear the mark of the single most important experience in American history? And that's the Civil War. All that destruction, I don't see how it could not have left its mark on people's thinking of nature. And so I'm really keenly interested in what the direct connections are. Again, some of them, the connections to nation, the first national parks are pretty clear. Certainly some people went into, I guess what we'd call environmental fields later, who had been Civil War veterans. And so I'm, I'm curious. I have this fantasy that some Union soldier who was under Benjamin Butler's command down in New Orleans uh, cleaning up the city and preventing yellow fever someday went into public health and, and used those insights to, to, to clean up the cities of the Gilded Age. I haven't found it yet, but I suspect it's out there. I think there's more connections than we imagine. We just haven't gotten to that point where we've unearthed them. That's, for me, one of the great futures of this field.
0: Because yes, I think it was Ulysses S. Grant, one of the, as, as you might say, the quote-unquote great men of the Civil War general yeah. who then becomes president, And I believe it's he who signs into existence Yosemite. And then you also have the first national battlefield park, such as Mm -hmm. right here in Georgia, the Chickamauga and Chattanooga National Military Park, which comes into existence in the Gilded Age in 1895. And I think that's a very direct link because it's setting aside of a a battlefield as exactly. a national park. Can you talk to us a little bit about how the national battlefield parks were created and, and why? Because it's not just to preserve nature at that point. It's also right. a, a preserving a... a of history
1: as well. Yeah, it's interesting because the battlefields are, of course, about memorialization, right? Um, Almost literally, you go there and there's all those monuments everywhere, and they're part of the national park system, and they, and they they do work at odds a little bit with that idea that somehow national parks preserved untouched landscapes, right? That in itself, of course, is problematic because almost every landscape has been has been touched by human beings. There's no such thing as a kind of pure, untouched wilderness. But there's an interesting tension there. I don't think the Civil War battlefields had had the preservation of nature per se in mind. It was more the war experience. But interestingly, they do become they become environmental reservoirs, regardless. And later on in their history, one of the most interesting tensions is what happens when your your desire to have a park as a monument to history conflicts with the directive to preserve nature and protect it. You know, for instance, probably know about how Gettysburg has been involved in this really big project to recreate the landscape of 1863, you know that's a difficult thing to do. First of all, because so many invasive species have, have come in since then, you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to go back to that landscape. And also, what happens if you get endangered species or threatened species in those areas? Can you sacrifice them for the for the historical element of the park, right? And I think that's an interesting tension. I don't know that there's an answer. I guess I guess that's environment. I mean, environmentalism is 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 a pretty contradictory and intention-filled philosophy generally. So, you know, maybe this is a great example of that.
0: I was also wondering if you could talk to us about what are some ways that the civil war still impact the environment today? Like how are Mm -hmm. our, what are the ripples that we still feel environmentally, if there are any, or have they kind of healed up.
1: I think they've largely healed up. I mean, it's amazing how quickly the, the, the landscape will recover, right? And, and as you probably know, I mean, battlefields covered in beautiful forests now, which were, of course, completely empty back then. You know, the landscape just generally has changed significantly since since the Civil War. You talked about, about Georgia. I mean, Atlanta is a great example, right? Suburban sprawl and reforestation have it changed it. You know, how is it still affecting it today? It's a great question. You know, it's, it's certainly a, a great question for more recent wars like World War One. One of the things that I was fascinated by you can, apparently you can you I read a scientific study of this you can take the soil uh, in, in a place like like France and analyze it and you will find really really high levels of copper in some areas and that's from all of the brass cartridges during trench warfare, kind of degrading right into their constituent elements. And it really has changed the the, the actual composition of the soil. I I wouldn't be surprised if you find that. Let's go to Petersburg and see what what we find. That might be kind of fun. I I think we're beyond the long-term effects, other than, again, the legacy of the environmental movement, which is, of course, still with us in the national parks.
0: So what do you see as the future of environmental history? What would Uh, you like to see the field continue into?
1: So I do think that we need... What we need to do is follow the lead of more typical Civil War historians. Again, they've moved beyond the battlefield. They've moved to larger questions of, of motivation and memory and trying to be as inclusive as possible in terms of people ex- is, uh, people's experience. And so I think we ought to do that. I'm interested in what I call the long Civil War. Again, as I touched on earlier, I want to know the environmental impacts five years out, 10 years out, 50 years out, that sort of thing. That's why the the links to the environmental movement excite me so much. You know, it's not enough just to sort of talk about how battles damage things. I mean, that's that's low-hanging fruit, and that's easy. we got to be a little broader than that. Before the Civil War, I think, is interesting as well. You could make an argument that in, in a lot of ways, of course, the Civil War was about slavery, but it was also about whether it was okay to commodify human beings in the same way you commodified nature. You could turn a tree into a board and sell it. And, of course, we did that to human beings, which is a horrifying thing. And, and was it okay for that system to exist and even expand into the West? In a way, there's a kind of environmental element to it that I think is fascinating, and I'd love to see some work. There's already been some work on that. Uh, Adam Dean, is, is, for instance, is a guy who's written on that. Um, so I'd love to see the kind of maybe environmental history of the sectarian crisis. And then more stuff on Reconstruction as well. Um, there's been at least one really good book that's come out on the environmental history of reconstruction and how changes to the landscape that the war caused shaped the reconstruction experience, especially for freed people. And I I want to see more of that kind of stuff. I think that's that's really the future.
0: That sounds so interesting because the landscape of the South did change so much from a very plantation-based economy to a war for multiple years. And then going into reconstruction and having to rebuild a lot of things that were destroyed. You now have whole populations of the people who had been, you know, forced to work on these plantations now free and able to move and migrate. So I guess that brings me to another question. How does migration impact the environmental factors that we see uh, after the Civil War?
1: But the one that jumps to mind immediately is disease, where you have, a course of course, you know, the, the post-war you know diaspora. Think again of, of freed people um, trying to find family members. People just, just people generally moving around. You know, a course of course, war and in, in the aftermath creates refugees, and and one of the things that does is, is mix up the epidemiological soup significantly. And uh, you probably you know are are familiar with Jim Downs, Sick from Freedom. He, he he talks about how how horrible the experience was of newly freed people because of the disease and the exposure to the elements that came with being refugees that came with the diaspora, came for looking for family and friends and relocating you know, somewhere else to get away from, from, from the memory of, of enslavement. So that's when it jumps out to me a lot is, is the epidemiological consequence of that. Not to mention, I guess, those northern soldiers who saw economic opportunity and came south later to you know, extract resources for the great industrial machine in the north, right? It's not a coincidence that all those forests in Appalachia And uh, in the sawmill, you know, to a large extent, building the infrastructure of the Gilded Age. So, environmental history just isn't about the fact that the war was fought outside, as many people have joked, right? But that that human history is this really deep and sustained interaction with, with nature. We change nature, nature changes us, and it sometimes leads to some really profound changes. And that's what in, environmental history is going to bring to the war is an understanding of that variable. And sometimes it can be significant. It can make or break the, uh, the, uh, a battle or a campaign or or even even a war itself. I mean, Ken No from Auburn just came out with a, a great book on Civil War weather, and he makes a really interesting argument that if the weather had been better, and let's say that... Uh, Uh, McClellan had been able to capture Richmond in 1862, there would have been no need for the Emancipation Proclamation or no opportunity for the Emancipation Proclamation and then no end to slavery. I mean, it's counterfactual, but it's fascinating, right? Did the the weather play a role in preventing Union progress, which then induced them to make it a war against slavery?
0: That's such a historical what if, you know, like what if this one day had been sunny and then the whole war would have
1: changed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the number of battles avoided or, or campaigns launched or not, I mean, because of weather is, is almost endless. Again, book is really good on this. And, um, I mean, history's always like that, the kind of what-ifs, but I think, you know, that's a pretty profound what-if. Again, weather just isn't the sort of thing you have to suffer through. It's, it's a historical actor, for the lack of a better phrase, in its own right. It's, it's a variable. It's very important. It's maybe the key variable sometimes. I mean, in fact, you could even say that, that I mean, the essence of the Civil War experience was living in misery outside for months and years. may not even have been the battle in a way. It was all that other awfulness. You know, one of the things we always want to do is get the experience of soldiering. What was it really like? Well, I mean, if you don't bring nature in, you don't, you don't, there's no way you're going to know.
0: Especially to re-examine topics such as the Civil War, which has been written about so much since its end. to really kind of turn it on its head or look at it from a different angle is always going to bring about the learning of something new. And I hope that's what our listeners got to do in this podcast is think about the Civil War from a different angle, from the environmental perspective that it had on the people, on the civilians, on the land itself. I think that's, that's incredibly interesting. So thank you so much, Dr. Drake, for chatting with us today. It was incredibly sure, enlightening.
1: <laughs> All right. Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the Donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THEN AGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of THEN AGAIN. Thanks, y'all.